0: together is from John chapter 4 and as Crystal shared about her story uh, the theme of the the series that we're looking at leading up to Easter is from mess to masterpiece and the idea of how God uses our pain and how it takes people whose lives are a mess and it weaves it together for his masterpiece and today we're looking at John um, we're looking at John chapter 11 I think we got the wrong text up there we're looking at the story of Lazarus. So if you're familiar with the story of Lazarus, uh, this is a story of how God changes and God raises Lazarus from the grave. Really, reading uh, John chapter 11, starting from verse 17. So reading God's word, John chapter 11, starting from verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days, Martha said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said that, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here, he's calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly, went to him. Now Jesus had come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews were with him, with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out. They followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in the spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, "What have? where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus moved deeply again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. Amen. This is a reading of God's holy, beautiful word. Please join me in prayer. Father, we give you thanks this morning as we come to this Easter service, and we give you thanks for the hopes of the resurrection. This morning now, as we kind of unravel this idea of resurrection, I pray that you would help us to see who you really are, for we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, I want to welcome you again to our service here at City Light. Uh, we're gathering together amongst all these churches around the world globally who gather to celebrate the hope of Jesus, the hope of the resurrection. Uh, Easter is in many ways a Sunday of Sundays. I like to call it the Super Bowl of Sundays. It's the big day, it's the main event. It's when uh, people get up, uh, people dress up, people celebrate. And what we celebrate is the hope of the resurrection, the hope, the hope that this is not the end. I love Easter because it really tells us about the heart of who Jesus is. You know, I um, I do I meet a lot of people in downtown, and most of the people I meet are not Christians. And I talk to them about you know if they you know about who Jesus is or who God is, and a lot of people that I meet uh, they don't believe in God. And sometimes I engage them and I ask them, describe this God that you don't believe in. What is he like? And they they say say often something like, well I don't believe in this angry God who arbitrarily sends people to hell and I say to them you know what I don't believe that God either me and you we actually don't believe in this same God because I don't believe that God either we we both disbelieve that God and uh and the begs the question well who is God then you know if we don't believe in that God that angry God well who is he and really, in the Gospel of John, John says Jesus reveals who God is. If, you, if you're if you curious about God, he seems uh, ethereal. He's out there. But Jesus, in flesh and blood, he shows us God. And what is God like? And throughout this um, the story of John, John is trying to teach us how Jesus is full of grace and truth, that he has compassion for the, the least of these, and that he's filled with love. Today we want to look at this idea that Easter is really this idea of love wins, that Jesus' love and the love of God the Father is greater than death, Uh, and he invites us into this relationship of love. So today as we look at uh, this passage, I basically want to see how Jesus loves empathetically, sacrificially, and eternally. And that's the essence of who God is and what he has come to do. The first thing is how he loves empathetically. We've been looking through the Gospel of John, and I like to describe John as a biography. It's a story of Jesus. John was one of the closest followers of Jesus, one of his 12 disciples. And he heard all of Jesus' sermons, saw all of his miracles. And one interesting thing about John is John loves to describe specific cities places, uh, the number of fish in a miracle. He loves to describe details. And one of the reasons for that is that, you know, John wrote this gospel, most scholars believe in 80 AD, that was in the lifetime of people who were actually with Jesus. And one of the times, one of the reasons he describes specific people's And places is that he wants people, people at that time could verify. They could talk to these witnesses. They could talk to these families. They could go to these cities. And even now, you can visit the holy lands and visit archaeological ruins of these cities. And John wants us to to visit, to know, to ask questions, to see that Jesus is not a myth, but a historic reality. But the second reason Jesus uh, John loved to talk about specific people is John wanted us to see that Jesus loved individual people. Uh, Jesus wasn't someone who just preached to the masses, but Jesus loved individuals. In fact, here in John chapter 11, Jesus specifically loved one family. He was so close to one family. Their names were Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. They're siblings, and he had a really tight connection with them. So in John chapter eleven, it strikes—it's a bad—it's bad news when John uh, Jesus is given this word. It's in verse three. So the sister sent him saying, "Lord, he whom you love is ill." Notice that Lazarus is known as someone Jesus loved. Jesus had love for Lazarus, and he hears from the sisters. They send to Jesus saying, "He's—he's he's sick. He's on his deathbed." Jesus, we need you to come. And right after this, what's interesting is that Jesus actually waits two days to travel this long distance to get to Lazarus. Why is that? And all throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus is always on God's time, not on our time. So he waits. And then he sets off after two days, which is a four-day journey to Bethany. It's a long route to get there. And when he finally arrives, Martha has some bad news. In verse 21, She rolls up to Jesus and says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Martha is disappointed in Jesus. She says, Jesus, where where were you? You're you're late. Uh, He goes to the house and Mary comes up to Jesus and asks him the same question. Jesus, if you'd just been here earlier, you could have prevented my brother from dying. Where were you? You know, if we're honest, a lot of us have felt this way with God. You might be praying for a perfect partner. You might be praying for children. You might be praying for a dream job. You might be praying for a house. And you feel like God is late. God, where where are you? I'm I'm waiting here for this person. I'm waiting here for this event, for this job. God, why are you late? Many of you may, may have lost loved ones of people that you've loved, and you've asked God, God, where were you? I've been, I, I prayed for healing. How come you're late? And this is the heart of Mary and Martha. And what does Jesus say? Because when you look underneath the, the questions of Martha and Mary, they're accusing him. Like, don't you love us? Where where were you? And what's interesting is that Jesus doesn't launch into a sermon. He doesn't actually launch into this miracle But look what he does first in verse 33. It says, When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, it says he was deeply moved in spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. They said Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. Jesus, instead of first launching into a sermon or even quickly going to raise Lazarus, entered into the grief and the trauma of all the people. He takes the tears of Mary and Martha upon himself. And he grieves with them. He grieves with their loss. And people all around said, this is proof. He really did love Lazarus. What is love? Uh, love is entering into the pain and experience of someone else. It's, it's if when they're grieving, entering into that grief and experiencing that. And one of the ideas of God's love is that God doesn't love us from on high, but God loves us uh, empathetically. He enters into our story. Jesus enters into our pain. Jesus weeps. This shows us really the heart of God. We have a God who weeps with us, who enters into our pain and our addiction. Today, Jesus weeps over injustice. He weeps over the, the, the racism that's tearing apart our country. He reaps over violence. We heard the tragic news this morning of 200 Christians in Sri Lanka who were were killed in a massacre. Jesus weeps over all the tragedies and violence and injustices in this world today. He weeps over all of it. And he weeps over all these people who are so far from his love and so far from his presence. Imagine if the mayor of Los Angeles was so convicted of homelessness that he sold his home, sold all of his possessions, and decided he was going to be homeless. And he pitched a tent on the sidewalk. And he realized in order to really solve this problem and love the homeless, he had to become homeless. And then he can understand the pain and the trauma of what it means to be an outsider. Imagine how moving that would be that someone would do that for us. In the beginning of Gospel of John, John chapter 1, it says that this glorious God, this God eternal, invisible, unchangeable, God stepped down from eternity into time and space. And John 1 says, and Jesus pitched his tent amongst us. He came all the way down and pitched a tent and lived with us. And Jesus entered into our pain, our tragedies, and our trauma. That's who God is. Jesus loves empathetically. But here's the second thing. Jesus also loves sacrificially. And that's the essence of his love. As Jesus gets to the grave, he does weep. He weeps over the pain and trauma. But one interesting thing about Jesus is this. In verse 33, it says that he's greatly troubled. You know, that Greek word can be used to describe someone who is angered, someone who is outraged. And Jesus is not just uh, weeping. He's also very upset. He's angry. He's indignant. And the question is, why is he also angry? And the answer is he's angry at death. He's angry at all the, that death has done. Death is not a natural thing. It's not the way things could, should be. Uh, death is not a natural thing. Where does death come from? Well, in Genesis, which is the book of beginnings, it's described that death is the consequence of sin. And in Genesis, it describes sin as uh, rebellion from God. Sin is turning our back on God. Sin is playing God, pretending we are God. Sin is leaving the person who loves us the most, which is our creator, and leaving home and turning our back away from his love. And when you walk away from a God of love, a God of beauty, a God of peace, everything begins to be ruined. You know, we live in a world today in which there's so much division, there's so much violence, there's so much trauma, there's so much injustice. And all of that is a echo that something is wrong with us, that our world is deeply broken. So what did Jesus come to do? Well, chapter 11 is the last chapter before Jesus goes to the cross. After chapter 11 and chapter 12, Jesus starts a long journey to the cross where he is, all of his disciples leave him. He's beaten within an inch of his life. He's stripped naked he's, and he's put on a cross. And he's cursed ultimately by his father. W- what is happening there? And the idea is Jesus is taking our curse for us. He's sacrificially taking the debt that we owe to God. And ultimately, that is the truest expression of love. Love is sacrifice. The most famous verse in the Bible is John 3.16. And this is what it says. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son for us. That whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Love is described as sacrifice. For God so loved the world that what he gave his only Son. That genuine love is sacrifice. The greatest measure of love is laying down your life for someone else. And we see this idea of love being sacrificed in all of our stories. You know, I'm not an avid obsessive fan of Game of Thrones, but I do watch it sometimes. Sometimes I don't know if I should watch it, though. You know, like I, would, I watch Game of Thrones, and my wife always walks in at the most inopportune time. You know, like there's some kind of brothel scene, and my wife walks in, and she's like, what are you watching? And I'm like, I, I don't know what I'm watching. This, this is crazy. I, it's not always like this. She's like, sure, Pastor Dennis. Go on watching that. I'm just wondering about these brothel scenes. Like, don't, don't they have locks on the door? Like, wh- why are you? Why do they gotta have the most urgent conversations up in here? And it just doesn't make sen- doesn't make sense to me. But uh, I do watch Game of Thrones. Last week, this is not quite a spoiler, by the way. Last week, I was watching this episode where uh, Faithful Sam. You know, the main theme of the Game of Thrones is about who rules the seven kingdoms. There's only one throne. There's only one iron throne, and who's going to rule it? And there's all kinds of pretenders and contenders. So who's going to rule it? And it's it's winding down. Uh, last week, there was a character named Sam, faithful friend, and he talks to Jon Snow. And he has uncovered the reality that Jon Snow is actually, he's the true heir to the throne. He doesn't know it. And he says to him at one point, you gave up your crown to save your people. Would she do the same? And what he's saying right there is that you're the true king, not just genealogically because you have the right, because he says ultimately because you have the character. There's all these pretenders who think they deserve the throne, but you're the king who gave up your crown. You gave it all up to save people. You're the true king. You know, in all of our stories, whether it's Lord of the Rings, the Lion, Witch of the Wardrobe, or any modern story, the true king, the true testament of a king and a leader is a willingness to lay down your life for the sake of your people. And the ultimate, the the story of Jesus is that Jesus loved us, not with sentiment, but with sacrifice. Not by saying he loved us, but by laying his life down for us. Jesus is the true king. He has come to enter into our story, not condescendingly, but he enters into our story. And he sacrifices himself for us. And this is the last thing. The story doesn't end there. The last thing is that he loves us with the eternal love that even death cannot destroy. Jesus goes to the tomb and he's both grieved and he's upset. He's upset at death. And he goes to the tomb with a mindset. I love the scholar John Calvin. He's a reformed, uh, great reformer. And he says, Jesus does not come to the tomb as a spectator, but like a wrestler preparing for the contest. The violent tyranny of death, which he had overcome, stands before his eyes. Calvin says that Jesus, when he rolls to the tomb, he's like a UFC fighter rolling into the octagon. And he's going to take on death. Death has an undefeated record. Death has a record of 100 billion to zero. It's never lost. Everyone who has ever lived dies, has died. Death is undefeated. And Jesus rose up to death here at this final, this match, in many ways a preview of the match to come. And he stares death in the face. Death is our ultimate enemy. You know, we all have fears in our life. We We might have a fear of, uh, we might have fear of losing our job. We might have money fears. You know, uh, this last week I was uh, traveling to San Francisco and my daughter has all kinds of fears all the time. And I have to call her and text her right after I land on a plane because she thinks the plane's going to crash. She has all these fears. Some of it are irrational, some are rational. And many of us have fears. But, you know, the greatest fear in life is the fear of death. You know, many people have irrational fears, things that might probably will not come true. But think about this. Death is the most tragic thing that can ever happen to you. And death is the most certain thing that will ever happen to you. It's a tragic thing that will always most certainly happen to you. Death is the fear underneath all of our fears. Some things that we fear may not never come true. But death is the thing that will absolutely happen, not just to us, but everyone we love. Death is so tragic because it's the end of love. It's the end of our relationship. It separates us from our truest desires. And Jesus' mission is to defeat death. So he goes to the tomb. Uh, He finds the crypt of Lazarus. And he offers up a prayer to God his father. And finally he says to Lazarus three words. It says in verse 43, When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus is resurrected. He comes and the sunlight hits his face. The people are astonished. Ultimately, the miracle of resurrecting Lazarus is a preview of Jesus' own resurrection. Uh, Weeks later, Jesus himself would die on the cross, taking our curse, But the scripture tells us God the Father raised Jesus from the grave. And when Jesus was raised from the grave, he conquered sin and death. He conquered sin and death. Lazarus uh, is a preview of Jesus' death and ultimately of Jesus' resurrection. Uh, Jesus, when he rose from the dead, God destroyed the power of death in the lives of those who believe. The 18th century pastor William Williams said, Jesus' resurrection is a death of death and hell's destruction. Jesus, Jesus rising from the grave is a death of death and hell's destruction. Jesus has come into this world uh, to uh, live a perfect life for us, to die on our behalf, but ultimately to conquer the power of sin and death, to destroy hell. Jesus has come to kick hell out. He's come to kick the hell out of hell, all the evil, all the injustice, all the ugliness of this world. Jesus has come to kick, that, kick hell out. And he's come to bring heaven down, the beauty of heaven, the glory of God's presence. He's come to bring heaven down to us. And he's killed the ultimate evil, which is death. And he's conquered that by his grave. Jesus' resurrection in many ways is a preview of our resurrection You know, some people are huge fans of movie franchises like Star Wars, and when a movie preview comes out of the next movie, they go bananas, they go nuts, and they dissect every part of that trailer. They try to figure out who the new characters are, what the plot is, what's happening next. Well, in many ways, Jesus' resurrection is a preview of what's going to happen to us, that when we die, we too will follow like Jesus, uh, when we die, death will no longer be an executioner, but a gardener. That our death is, is though we die, we will be raised to new life in Christ. And that is the hope of the Christian. How could that be our reality? Well, John 20, 11, 25, this is what Jesus says. How do I get that in my life? Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. A resurrection happens in me. Uh, I'm the resurrection. Though you die, you will live. And he says, I'm the life. Now, in the Gospel of John, life is not just uh, breathing. Life is life with God. It's life full of glory and beauty and the presence of God. What God offers to you is not for you to live forever. Uh, I was doing a youth camp in the Czech Republic and so I was talking about eternal life and one of the students came up to me and said, you know what, you talk about eternal life, but I don't want to live forever. I thought that was an interesting question and I realized I only kind of half explained eternal life. Eternal life is not living forever because all of us have pain in our life. We have things that are going wrong and it's not just a continuation of life. What God offers to you is something better. It's a life filled with the joy and the glory of God life of feeling the experience of an eternal love in your life that will never end. It's a new kind of life. It's a life everlasting. Ultimately, life, this life with God is a life of love. That's why in Romans 8, 37 to 39, it kind of explains it, which encapsulates everything I've been trying to say. That death is so bad because it keeps us from love of loved ones, but what Jesus has come to do when he defeated death is now we can experience the unending love of God. In Romans 8, it says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor height nor depth nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans says that nothing can separate us now from God's love because of what Jesus has done. Not life, not death. Not things in the past, not things in the future. Not things invisible, not things visible. Nothing can now separate us from what? The love of God in Christ Jesus. And that is the life that God offers to us. I love the documentary, which I just watched a couple months ago, called Free Solo. It's just one of the best documentary. Uh, during the Oscar ceremony. And Free Solo uh, is about the story of a renowned free solo climber. Uh, his name is Alex Honnold. And he's trying to free solo climb El Capitan in y- Yosemite. It's 2,900 feet high. Free soloing means that you're not using any equipment. Um, you know, I have, a, I have. this is an amazing idea that someone can do that. I have trouble doing one pull-up. Uh, but this man... Is trying to climb 2,900 feet with a bag of chalk, that's all. Uh, just a bag of chalk, no ropes, no nothing. Uh, his hands and feet and some shoes and a bag of chalk. And it, it, it's his experience of trying to do that. And this documentary is all about how, how crazy that is. They interview all kinds of people who say that if you free solo long enough, you're going to die. And Alex has friends who've died climbing. So why would you do that? Why would you risk your life? And the documentary explores his family life. And he explains in his family life, he grew up and he says he never really heard the words, I love you. Whenever he did something well, his parents would not say, good job. They would always say, well, you can do better. He says he was never hugged. He's never really told that he was loved. His father passed away early in his life, and he always felt like, not only was he climbing solo, he always felt like he was living solo. He lived a van life. He didn't have roots. He didn't have a home. And he felt like not only was he climbing solo, he was living solo. But it, the documentary wrestles with whether he, he should do that. Does he need to live solo anymore? Does he need to climb? He has a girlfriend who loves him. He has, he has friends and family. Who, is he, who he's connected to. And they all, in many ways, want him not to climb that. They want him to live. They want him to be connected. You know, this morning, I want you to, to think about this thought that many of us are living life solo. We're trying to do it on our own. We're disconnected. We don't have anything rooting our lives in. And this morning, Jesus says to us that he is our rock. 1 Corinthians 10, it says that Jesus is our rock. He's the person that can anchor our lives. He's the person that we can always be rooted in His love and secure in it. He's the person that if we have even death, it cannot take away the love that we have in Him. You know, in the Gospel of John, there are all kinds of people that are, uh, whose lives are messed up. In John chapter 2, there is a couple who, the wine runs out. John chapter 4, there's a woman who's been married five times. She's been looking for love. At the end of John chapter 4, there's a man whose son is deathly ill. And these people are all searching for answers. And what Jesus says to each of those people is that he's the person that they've all been longing for. Jesus is the great love that you've been waiting for your whole life. Jesus is the great hope that will never disappoint you. Jesus is the great friend who will never abandon you. He's a great redeemer who will take your shame and your tragedies and your fears. Jesus is the great rock that even though your foot slips and you fall, he will rescue you, that you're safe in him. This morning, God invites you to his eternal love, to experience that. Well, how do you get that? Well, John chapter 11, it says we get that simply by faith. Jesus said, by believing in me. That's all you need to do. In order to be a Christian, all you need is need. All you need is to believe in the one who has lived the perfect life for you and he has died your death for you and who resurrected from the grave. And all you need to do is receive that. That's it. Uh, the gospel is not about achieving. It's about receiving. It's not about doing. It's about believing the one who's done it all for you and simply taking that by faith. Uh, but faith is also a journey. You know, we heard in Crystal's testimony that her faith was actually a journey, a series of steps. And faith for a lot of people is not all at once. And what I want to challenge you this morning is take a step of faith. That might be uh, taking the Alpha course, which I'm teaching on Wednesday. It might might mean reading the gospel for yourself. Would you take a step of faith? And if you are a believer, I want to close with this idea. Uh, Would you live out of the hope of the resurrection? The resurrection means that everything sad in your life will one day come untrue. Everything sad in your life, everything tragic in your life will one day come untrue. The resurrection means the best is always yet to come. The resurrection means no matter how messy your life is, the resurrection means God is weaving that together for his masterpiece. Uh, I love this quote from Chuck Palahannock. He writes in his book, Fight Club. Only after disaster can we be resurrected. He says, only after disaster. There has to be a disaster in your life. And only then will you be resurrected. Maybe your life feels like a disaster or a mess. Would you believe and would you put your hope that out of this mess, God is weaving together a beautiful masterpiece? Would you live with that kind of hope and peace? Please join me in prayer. Lord, we give you thanks this morning for the hope that is in Christ Jesus And this morning, Lord, we come to you in various seasons, in different places of belief, and I pray, God, that this morning we would see that you are the great love that we've been waiting our whole life for, that you are the great hope that can anchor our lives. And I pray for people who might not know you this morning, that they would take a step of faith in believing that truth. And I pray for our people who've been Christians maybe their whole lives that, God, that they would believe layers and layers deeper, that faith would go layers and layers deeper this morning to apprehend and experience the power, God, and the hope that belongs to us as we participate in your resurrection. Make us people of hope. And I pray that this uh, afternoon as we spend time... Uh, celebrating together, connect us, weave us together, help us to know that we are a community of hope. We are a community of faith. We're not doing it together. So bring us into this celebration, a celebration of hope and joy in Christ Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.